You're listening to Leading and Learning. This is the place where we talk about practical leadership, theology, fitness, how to create winning habits, and so much more. My name is David Spell, and I'm a retired police officer, a pastor, a New Testament scholar, and a leadership coach. My goal on leading and learning is to help you live your best life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome back to Leading and Learning. This is episode number 356. What is truth? I think we live in a a, a pivotal time in history, and of course that's probably been said in every generation, but there seems to be a real lack of understanding of the truth. You hear about your truth and my truth, this truth, that truth, um, and You know, really, if you listen to the news or just kind of keep an eye on your social media feed, there's stuff that's proposed as truth that's not true at all. You know, one of the big controversies right now in early 2022 is, should we allow biological men who think they're women or who identify as women, and I'm using air quotes around identify as, um, who, who identify as women even though they're actually Um, still men, should we allow them to compete in women's athletic events? Um, In their mind, the truth is that they're a woman. Well, I think most anybody who's got common sense would realize that's not the truth. And so that's just one example, but that's kind of just to give you an idea of where my mind is as we, we go into this talk on the truth. Before we get started, I want to let you know this episode of Leading and Learning is brought to you by my book, Miracles in Mark. Miracles in Mark was my very second book that I wrote. My first one was Peter and Paul and Acts, and then it was Miracles in Mark. And Miracles in Mark is a study of each of the miraculous signs that Jesus performed in that incredible gospel. And if you've, you've been reading the Bible for a while, you know that the Gospel of Mark has more signs, has more miracles, has more supernatural events than any of the other four Gospels. So it's well worth taking a look at what they are and what they mean. So Miracles in Mark is a fast-paced book. It's great for personal Bible study. It's also excellent and has been used really throughout the world for group Bible study as well. But you can also check out my course based on the book Miracles in Mark. I've got a video course. I think there's 23 or 25 short videos. Again, this is great for personal Bible study or small group study. The videos kind of go along with the book. They're all short, five to ten minutes uh, give or take, and then there's some discussion material that you can use to um, really get people talking about this incredible gospel. You know, whatever it takes to get people to read the Bible, that's that's my attitude. And um, If people would read the Bible, spend more time in God's Word, I really believe it would transform their lives. So check out Miracles in Mark, the book, and Miracles in Mark, the video course. 
You know, one of the most dramatic encounters in the Bible, um, and, there, and there are a lot of them. I mean, you can think of dramatic encounters between um, Abraham and God. I mean, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, that's a dramatic encounter between two, two, two I hate to say people, but two beings, God and Abraham. Uh, dramatic encounters between Moses and Pharaoh. Incredibly dramatic. The showdown there is powerful. The, the showdown, the encounter between David and Goliath. Man, what a great encounter that was. And we move into the New Testament, and we've got some very interesting encounters there. Jesus and Nicodemus, you know, they, they have that incredible conversation in the middle of the night um, where Jesus says, you know, tells the, the learned rabbi, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. But another really dramatic encounter involving Jesus was, was at the end of his ministry, he'd been arrested and he was brought before Pilate, the Roman governor. And he's been arrested by the Jewish leaders. Jesus has been arrested. They want him crucified. They want him put to death. They want the, this to be a capital offense, um, his blasphemy, if you will. And the Jews were seeking the death penalty, and they had to have him condemned and actually executed by the Romans. It was illegal for the Jews to um, exercise capital punishment on their own. And so there's this dialogue, this conversation, this encounter that takes place between Pilate and Jesus. And when you read all four Gospels, what you find out is that Pilate actually found no fault in Jesus. He said it over and over again, I find no fault in this man. And he actually seemed to even get frustrated with Jesus that Jesus wasn't doing more to argue his case. Um, the, the unwritten thing here seems to be that Pilate's Amazed that Jesus is not trying to defend himself. Maybe if Jesus had put more, put forth a little more effort, maybe Pilate could have released him. But Jesus doesn't do that. But they have this encounter. And John um, records some of the dialogue between Jesus and, and Pilate. And Pilate is asking him, are you really a king? Are, are you the king of the Jews like they say you are? Is there any basis to this, this argument that you're setting yourself up as a king in opposition to Caesar. And Jesus answered, he said, You say that I am a king, and you are right, Jesus said. I was born for that purpose, and I came to bring truth to the world. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate's famous answer was, What is truth? And that's from John 18, 37 to 38. What is truth, Pilate asked. And that's been spoken in various different ways. Um, you know, maybe he was being sarcastic. Uh, maybe he was spitting those words back at Jesus. Maybe it was a genuine question. What is truth? Can we know truth? But I think this is also one of those questions and if you think about it, I think, I think you realize this is true. Uh, this is that question that's been spoken throughout the centuries. This idea of what is truth. People have been asking that same question throughout history. And another question that goes along with it is, is there an ultimate 
truth? Is there really just one truth? And these are questions that philosophers still wrestle with. Every generation seems to rephrase that question a little bit differently, but the question remains the same. Can anyone really know what the truth is? You know, it's not surprising that this particular encounter is in the Gospel of John. In fact, the truth is one of the ideas that John develops in his book, and there's quite a few of them. I've done some other podcasts on the Gospel of John. I've written about it on my blog. You might want to check that out, but um, John really took several concepts and explored them, and one of them is this idea of truth. In John 1.17, he said that the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It becomes clear early on in the gospel that for John, truth was personified in Jesus personified in Jesus. Jesus used the word over and over again in his own teaching and conversations. The word truth appears over 20 times in this book, but the author understands that truth is more than just having one's facts straight. Remember when when Jesus was having the conversation with the woman at the well, this is in John chapter 4, and he's talking about, she has her questions about where people should worship because, you know, the Samaritans... Uh, were considered unclean and weren't allowed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And there was a racial conflict there. And Jesus said that those who worship God, he was saying that really that it doesn't matter where we worship God. He was saying how we worship is more important. He said, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And, and, and this is such a powerful idea because what Jesus is essentially saying is there's a right way and a wrong way to worship God. Isn't that fascinating? Because I think sometimes in our modern society, we seem to think that, you know, if somebody is sincere, that's all that matters. But to Jesus, that wasn't because he said, um, it, it really, if you want to worship God, you must do so in spirit and in truth. So there is a, an ultimate truth in how we worship. And this true way to worship involves our hearts and not a location or a set of rituals. Um, Jesus also highlights uh, this idea of truth with the religious leaders. The religious leaders had their idea of truth, but it was a truth that was rooted in ritual, in rote, in, in law. And, and, and to be sure, the, the, the law of God is, is the truth of God, but the way they were applying it was really more out of ritual. And, and Jesus even had these harsh words to say uh, about these religious leaders um, against their false teaching. He said that you're children of your father, the devil. He's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Wow, that's pretty heavy. And the reason the Jewish leaders did not accept Jesus was because they couldn't discern the truth from the lies. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is these guys were children of the devil. That's pretty pretty harsh, but but that understanding that they that they were children of the devil, that was what was preventing them from accepting the truth. And you see it worked out in their lives because they ultimately had Jesus put to death. I mean, the Son of God, truth personified, is standing in front of them, and yet they didn't 
recognizing. The clearest declaration of Jesus as the ultimate truth is found in John chapter 14. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, he's trying to prepare them for, for going away. And, um, you know, he, he's saying, look, I've shown you the way. And I believe it's Philip says, well, well how, how are we supposed to know the way, Jesus, if you're leaving? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, wow, that is such a powerful verse. That, that's one that's worth memorizing. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This verse has really been controversial through the years uh, in Christianity. It's caused many non-Christians to condemn Christianity as, as being exclusive and judgmental because Jesus makes the claim here that he's the only way to God. He says he's the way, the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, you know, that's, that's can, again, it can sound kind of harsh, but let's break it down just a little bit. Let's, let's think this through. The common thought found in many philosophies and world religions is that there's this common thread of truth running through all religions. And there is some truth to that. In most religions of the world, there's this common denominator of loving our fellow man, bettering ourselves as people. Um, you know, there are some, some definitely some common thoughts and threads that run through it. But the difference is, in almost every other religion, they're works-based, and you have to work your way to God. Whereas in Christianity, Jesus has extended his hand to us, and we accept eternal life. We accept our salvation through faith in Him. And He begins to change us, and we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and begin to grow in Him. But, you know, this idea that all religions are leading to the same ultimate truth and that all paths are leading to the same destination, well, if you believe what Jesus said, that's not true. And that's kind of where Christians get in trouble. You know, they're <laughs> looked down on, ostracized, you know, said that they're, uh, you know, judgmental and exclusive. But, you know, think about it. If what Jesus was saying was true, this dispels the idea of many different ways to God. It dispels this idea that you can have a truth and I can have a truth and everybody can have a truth. Um, Jesus says clearly he's the only way to God. And, you know, this really might not be politically correct and sure to offend people, but the way I look at it is... At least there is a way to God. Uh, there is a way to reconnect with our Creator um, and get back into a relationship with Him. That is that's powerful. Um, so so at least we can be thankful that God provided humanity with a way to come back into relationship with Him. And and of course many people would not agree with this and don't accept Jesus's words as author as authoritative. Good for them. That's fine. No problem. That's the beauty of having a free will. You can believe what you want. You can choose to accept or not, but you also have to be prepared to accept the consequences. And, you know, sometimes people might say that um, there's no evidence to back this up. What, what evidence do we have 
um, what what who gave Jesus the authority to make these crazy outlandish claims? Who is Jesus to say that he's the only correct way to God? Who is Jesus to say that he's the one who embodies truth? Who is he to say that he's the one who defines what truth really is? Isn't the truth inside of me as an individual? Can't I find my own truth? And you know, if Jesus was merely a man, that would be a valid question. It would be such a valid question. But if Jesus was just another prophet, even if he was just another prophet, these words wouldn't have any more authority than any other founder of the world's religions. If Jesus was just a prophet, you can put him on the same uh, you, know, you know, pedestal that you put Muhammad or, uh, gosh, you pick your pick your prophet. Um, you know, there there's so many religions in the world, and we could just kind of put Jesus on the same scale with with any of them. Um, but you know, Buddha, Confucius, pick a pick a philosopher, or prophet. But here's the deal with Jesus: his claim to be the ultimate truth, as well as the the, the way to God has this significant event, has, has this significant piece of evidence that seems to confirm everything that he claimed. The Apostle Paul said that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. That was in Romans 1.4. And of course, as I'm recording this, it's late March 2022, and we're, we're just a couple of weeks away from Easter. And of course, Easter is the celebration for Christians every year. This idea of celebrating the fact that Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead is such a powerful uh, thing for us to celebrate. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we, of most people, or to be pitied, is what Paul said. Pastor Andy Stanley says, If the guy who predicted his own death and resurrection tells me that he's the only way to God, I'm going to believe him. Now, obviously, there's there's so many different things we can you know, approach here. We can talk about the different arguments against the resurrection of the dead. I've actually got a, uh, a book called Reflections on the Resurrection in which I deal with that. There's some other great apologetic resources that deal with the historicity of the resurrection of the dead, of Jesus from the dead. <clears throat> and it's definitely worth noting because people don't normally rise from the dead. You know, when you're dead, you're dead. That, that's pretty pretty final. Um, so, so for Christians to make this outlandish claim that Jesus physically, literally rose from the dead, it's something that we shouldn't take lightly. Is there evidence to back that up? And I would say, yes, there is. And I'll, I'll list my book, Reflections, on the resur- reflections on the resurrection is one of the resource highlights, so you can check it out as well. Um, you know, and just check out the the, the arguments. I, t- I touch on all the major arguments against the resurrection, and um, you know, try and just show that that there's plenty of evidence for Jesus actually rising from the dead. But it's in that bodily resurrection that God added His exclamation mark to every other claim that Jesus made. Now, to be sure, um, you know, we don't have any any photographs of Jesus rising from the dead, and there are plenty of people who don't accept the historicity of the resurrection. 
But for Christians, the resurrection has been a central tenet of Christianity since the very beginning. And, and the reason for that was there were eyewitnesses, and that's what we trace it back to. Um, you know, if you want to read 1 Corinthians 15, Paul actually lays out in the first 15 verses or so um, basically a witness list that you could take into court uh, of people who saw Jesus raised from the dead, physically, literally raised from the dead, touch him, hold him, sit down and have a meal with him. He's alive, never to die again. And, and then in the rest of the chapter, Paul actually gives the theological meaning. What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? So this is a powerful thing <clears throat> for us to consider. Um, the, 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 as we said, the resurrection of Jesus is a central tenet of Christianity since the very beginning. And in raising Jesus from the dead, God declared to the world that Jesus was the truth personified. You say, well, I don't like that. You know, I want to have my own truth. Well, that's fine. But if God raised Jesus from the dead, he gets to make the rules. If, if Jesus had stayed dead, then him saying that he was the truth really wouldn't carry any more weight than any claim that Buddha made or Muhammad made or uh, Joseph Smith made or, you know, pick your prophet. Um, but Jesus rising from the dead seemed to change everything. When Pilate asked, what is truth? The irony, the irony of Pilate asking that question is the, the answer to his question was standing right in front of him. Jesus had said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but might be. Pilate said, what is truth? Well, he's standing right in front of you, Pilate. But sadly, in Jesus' day and in all the generations since, many sincere people have looked right past Jesus. They look right past him. They're, they're good people. They're looking for the truth. They're looking to live a good life. They're looking for the meaning of life. But yet, for whatever reason, they look right past Jesus in their efforts to find the truth. But nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Jesus is still the truth that sets us free. He's still the truth that sets us free. Well, what do you think? You know, this is, a, this is an interesting concept. And, and like I say, just watching recent events in, in, in society, different things on the news, seeing all the craziness that we're dealing with, what does this mean to you when you think of Jesus being the truth? And how could having a better view of Jesus as the truth change someone's life? I'd love to hear from you. Go to davidspell.com, leave me a question or a comment in the comment section for today's post. Let's talk about it. If you don't agree with me, that's fine too. Let's have a conversation. Um, you know, I, I believe that there's plenty of evidence to, to, to back up everything Jesus said. You don't have to agree with me. That's fine. We're still friends. But, but let's at least have a discussion about it. So davidspell.com, leave a question or comment. Let's keep the conversation going. Check out my resource highlights, uh, Miracles in Mark, the book and the course, and then also Reflections on the Resurrection. And, uh, you know, maybe click the buy button. I think you would enjoy them. 
And I always appreciate uh, putting those great resources into people's hands. Well, friends, thanks for being with me, and we will see you next week on Leading and Learning. Thank you.